0: coming to you from classic city
1: the capital of the
0: bulldog nation it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard georgia fans in the country what's up guys welcome back to another edition of the glory uga podcast i'm your host tyler And our podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Alumni Hall here in the Classic City. Fall practice starts Friday, guys. Most of you are probably listening to this on Friday or maybe even Saturday, so practice has already started. So things are getting real, guys. The season is almost here, and that means it's time for you to gear up and get your 2021 game day gear before the Dogs hit the field in Charlotte against the Clemson Tigers. And Alumni Hall is the absolute best place to do that game day shopping. I'm serious, guys. I've been shopping at Alumni Hall for years and years and years. Actually, so many years that I can't even remember how many years it has been. Basically, since it opened whenever that was five, six, seven years ago. It's been a while. But since they've opened, I have been a loyal patron essentially since day one. I went there the first time and I was I was hooked, man. It's like, oh my God, they have everything I could ever want right here in the classic city and even if you're not local here in athens it doesn't matter guys everything that they have in stores is also available online right now they're actually offering a flash sale for free shipping right now through the end of this week so jump on that and they do such a great job too like i know this might seem like a small thing to a lot of people but to me it's just an example of how alumni hall goes the extra step when they ship you something they wrap it up like it's christmas day i might like to me whenever i get george gear it is like christmas day but it really is like christmas day when it's from alumni hall because it's all wrapped up this nice georgia alumni hall tissue paper they send it complete with like a thank you card just showing you how much they appreciate your business and patronage it's just a classy way to do things and for me at least it's the small things like that that count and just again another example of how alumni hall just goes the extra mile to make your shopping experience as good as they possibly can they have the best selection of brands and styles, guys. I mean, they have things that nobody has. It's always cool to, to rock the George gear that none of your friends have, and people see like, man, what's that? You get all those compliments. That's always great, right? I mean, you should get those compliments anytime you're wearing the G, but when it's something that nobody else has seen, that, that's an extra layer of cool. They also offer a 10% discount for UGA students and also for our veterans. They have a hall pass rewards program where you can earn credits towards future purchases. I mean, guys, they just do it in a way that nobody else does does. We're getting feedback from a lot of our listeners that have never either heard of Alumni Hall or never like actually shopped there. And uh, right now they're picking up their gear of the, all the new arrivals that are coming in hot. And uh, we're getting a lot of great feedback on their experiences, the things they're getting, the prices, all the gear, all of that stuff. So don't be too late guys. The new arrivals are coming in more and more every single week. And that's going to continue probably the next couple of weeks, but you want to make sure you get yours before those new arrivals are sold out because they go fast. So again, that's Alumni Hall in the Epps Bridge Shopping Center in Athens, or just at alumnihall.com. And make sure you are following us on our new Instagram page. We're getting more and more followers each and every day. I think we're going to switch this up, guys. So I said that once we hit the 500, we would do an Instagram live video. I think I'm going to switch that up. I know it's a very aggressive Goal to have right before we kick off the season. It'd be awesome if we got there. I think we can get there, but I also want to reward all you guys that have been, that have been loyal listeners and are following us and doing everything that you can to help us out. We appreciate it so much. So here's a new deal. Every time we get to a, a another hundred followers on Instagram. So right now we're like 175. Once we hit the 200, I will do an Instagram live. Then once we hit the 300, I'll do another one. Once we hit the 400, I'll do another one. That way, we hopefully. As we gain more and more followers as we approach the season. We'll get a couple of those in. I think it'll be a lot of fun and a way for me to interact with you guys. Um, I don't know how that'll go. It'll be my first time doing Instagram Live, but we'll figure it out. We'll have a lot of fun doing that. So make sure you're following us there. We've got a lot of great content that we're posting every single day. And once the season hits, man, we're going to have a lot of great content, especially on those actual football weekends. So make sure you follow us there. It's at Glory UGA Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA Podcast. You can follow the Glory UGA Podcast Facebook page as well. We always appreciate all that support, guys, everything you do. We really do. But all right, let's get to the reason you guys actually tuned in. And that is the latest edition of our Summer Scouting the Enemy series, Today, we are focusing on the Arkansas Razorbacks as we make our way through the 2021 Georgia football schedule. Now, I know what a lot of you did as soon as the 2021 schedule was released back in while that was late January, I think. I know what you did. You pulled up the schedule online, because I do the same thing. You pulled up the schedule online. You started at the top. You worked your way down, counting up the wins on the schedule, right? Sound familiar? And I know every single one of you out there, you got to that Arkansas game week five and emphatically said, win, as soon as you saw that running hog on the helmet. Sound about right, huh? Sound about right? I, I mean, I did. I'm not going to lie. I did the same thing. Like, you, don't, you don't even think about it. It's almost like a reflex, automatic win. Georgia like, like Georgia just doesn't lose to Arkansas, Right. I mean, after all, this is a program that went three and seven last season after having not won a single SEC game in their previous 20 tries. Like, that's not even Vanderbilt level stuff. That's like a level below Vanderbilt. I mean, you see them on the schedule and you're like, automatic win. The dogs can't lose that team, right? Right? And you're probably right. You're probably right. You're almost certainly right. But, but, don't sleep on the hogs this season. Just saying, guys. Just put it out there. Just saying. No, they, they aren't as talented as Georgia. They're not as talented as us. Not even close. No, they, they aren't as deep as us. Not even close. No, they're coaching staff isn't as accomplished as ours. Again, not even close. But let's also be clear. This is not the same Arkansas program that lost those 20 straight SEC games coming into last season. This is not that same Arkansas program. Sam Pittman's a new sheriff in town. He came in last year, and yeah, they only ended up three and seven, but that was a very different Arkansas team. All you do is watch one game. You guys watch it. At the very least, you watched the first game, right? Where we went down to Fayetteville and uh, kind of sleptwalk through that first half. Kind of biting our nails there for a little bit before we pulled away the second half. But Pittman came in and give him credit here. He breathed some new life into this Arkansas program. He brought in two fantastic coordinators. He's not doing this by himself. Two great coordinators, great hires, and Barry Odom on defense and Kendall Browse on offense. Sam Pittman, as you might imagine, when the, as an as a old-school throwback offensive line coach, he installed a, a sense of toughness, a sense of belief in that program, and the Hogs, at this point, I believe, are firmly on the come-up yeah i know they went three and seven last season that's hardly anything to brag about under normal circumstances and that certainly does not put the fear of god into bulldog hearts out there it doesn't i get that but that record doesn't necessarily tell the entire story it's very easy to just Pull up the schedule from last year and say, oh well, yeah, Arkansas was three and seven. They were terrible. We're gonna kill them this year. And that's probably the case. We probably will kill them this year. Odds are that's what's gonna happen, right? Like if you're a betting man, that's what you would bet on. That's what the odds will tell you to bet on. But if you actually go back and do what I did this offseason and watch every single Arkansas game from last year, it tells you a little bit of a different story than just that what that three and seven record would tell you. This is a team that can be competitive, all right? That's that's in my opinion, pretty clear. When you go back and watch, I mean, let's let's dig a little deeper on that that three and seven year from last year. Yeah, at the end of the day, they were three and seven, and what did Denny Green used to always say? You are what your record says you are, whatever, right? But like, if you look a little deeper, they were actually only seven points and three heartbreaking losses away from being a six and four team. They lost those games, but man, they easily could have gone the other way. They technically lost to Auburn by two. But those of you who watched that game, you know that Arkansas beat Auburn. Arkansas beat Auburn. Auburn won that game because there was, as is always the case week in and week out in the SEC, yet another horrific call. Not only was this a bad call, it was a game-changing call. You guys remember what happened here? Bo Nix was trying to spike the football, but he threw a backwards pass. He threw the spike backwards, and that's a lateral. Arkansas recovered. Game over. Arkansas wins. But no... The referees did not award Arkansas the football like they should have, so Auburn gets a chance get the field goal. They win the game by two. Arkansas won that game, in my opinion. As far as I'm concerned, Arkansas beat Auburn in Auburn last year. Then Arkansas loses to LSU by three. They lose to Missouri by two in a thrilling game late in the season. That was an awesome game to watch. A lot of fun. I know it didn't really matter much to anyone that's not an Arkansas or Missouri fan, but that was a heck of a fun game to watch. And all three of those games could easily have swung Arkansas's way. They didn't, but they very easily could. They were right there. And again, as as far as I'm concerned, they beat Auburn. And think about this. If they were walking into this coming season off a resurgent six and four season last year, don't you think the narrative around this program might be a little bit different? Just a little? Like if they were six and four last year instead of three and seven, do you think when you're going down the schedule, as soon as you got it, that when you got to week five and you saw that hog on the helmet, you might stop and say, huh, just for a second. No, you're still going to say, oh yeah, Georgia going to win this game. But wouldn't it give you like, just a, a millisecond more of a pause than just like skimming right through without even thinking? I mean, maybe not, but to me, it would give you a little bit more to at least think about there, a little more to chew on. And this is a team that is returning 19 starters, nine on offense, 10 on defense. It's a veteran team, uh, that especially on offense that got some confidence in their first year under Sam Pittman. It's also a team that now believes. Now again, they only won three games last year, but when you're when you're coming from winning zero games in your previous 20 SEC tries, like that's something that builds confidence, and they believe that they are ready to take that next step. And that might sound like a bunch of rah-rah stuff, and and you don't buy into that, but to me, I, I don't think you can just brush that off. Uh, I absolutely believe that culture, like the culture and the vibe around a program, I believe that matters. Like no, like it doesn't, it doesn't make players more talented, but what it does do is it makes the offseason more productive. It gives you a little extra juice in that offseason, at least maybe just a little more effort out there on the field on game days, and those things can start to add up. I'm mean, thinking about it this way, guys. Like, if you lose out in a promotion and you have no hope in sight for the future, like you don't think. That job's ever gonna be open like in the next 20, 30 years. Like, do you work as hard? Do you really? Like, I, I think most people would say probably not. So if you're Arkansas and you're going through this stretch we you lost 20 straight games and you just feel defeated every time you go out there, you don't think you have a chance to win an SEC game. Like you you don't work as hard in the offseason. It's not as productive. You don't play quite as hard. Even if it's just a notch below, you don't play quite as hard. But when you start to believe and you think, yeah, man, we have a chance to win these games you have a little extra kick in your step. And that can be a really powerful thing for a program that had been just downtrodden and beaten down for so long, for two and a half years. Now, does all that make them a major threat to like really realistically come into Athens and pull this upset? Does that mean that our siren should be going off here in Athens? No, absolutely not. Again, we are a much more talented and much deeper team. We should not Lose this game. Let me repeat that. We should not lose this game to Arkansas in week five. But you know what? We also shouldn't have lost at home to South Carolina in 2019. Shouldn't have lost that game, but we all know what happened, right? And this Arkansas team is absolutely better than that South Carolina team. Now, this Georgia team is probably better than that Georgia team, but our, hey, if we can lose to South Carolina at home like that, we can lose to Arkansas at home. It's possible. That's what I'm telling you. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying is that we should respect the Arkansas Razorbacks this year. Just respect them. That's all I'm asking, okay? Not that it really matters what we think, but I don't want this narrative to be out there because this kind of bleeds into the team. It really does. That we're just going to walk all over Arkansas. And look, again, probably we're going to blow them. We probably should blow them out. We should. But this team is good enough if our guys are not ready to roll on October 2nd, and we just go through the motions like we did against South Carolina a couple years ago, or we just randomly have one of those inexplicable performances. This Arkansas team is absolutely good enough to beat us if we don't play up to our capabilities. Now, if we play up to our capabilities, if we bring our A game, they have no chance. It doesn't matter how well they play. If we play our A game, even if they play the game of their lives, they're not going to beat us. That's just not going to happen. But if we play like a C level game, yeah, absolutely. And, and and I think like I don't think you can say that about every team on the schedule. Like I don't think I honestly, as we could, I don't know if we could play bad enough to lose to Vanderbilt. I, I don't know like you never say never but like I just I don't know if I see that. I mean there are some games out there that like man, even if we play like a like a C or even D level game, we're almost certainly still gonna win. all right It's just about like kind of the scoring margin like Vanderbilt, even Tennessee maybe this year, those kind of teams. But I think this Arkansas team is has moved into that next tier. I think they will move to that next tier this year where like if they play their a game and we just don't have it that day, we bring a C level type game they have the ability enough talent especially on offense to jump up and beat us they do now again make sure you are hearing me here we should not emphatically not lose to arkansas i ain't calling for any upsets i'm not calling for that they are not on our level all i'm saying is that we can't play around all right you just can't play around which which wasn't true two years ago. Like you could play around with Arkansas two years ago and still beat them. They were that bad. But I think this program is to the point now they've progressed enough to where you say you have to at least like play a solid game. You can't just play around and think that they have absolutely no chance to beat you because I just don't think that's the case now with where this Arkansas program is currently. And as I like to do on these episodes, let's start with the most important position on the field, which of course is the quarterback position. Now, Felipe Franks last year coming over from Florida was a really nice stopgap for them. He was a transition quarterback who came in and really played the best football of his career. I was kind of skeptical of that transfer because Franks just never really worked out at Florida. He did start to come on before the injury in uh, 2019, but he never did it for like a sustained period of time. In fact, he was terrible most of his career at Florida. So he came over to Arkansas, and I wasn't sold completely. I wasn't sure, but I thought he had a really good, solid year last year, and he was a big part of helping to get this Arkansas program back on track. But Franks is gone, and in steps redshirt sophomore K.J. Jefferson. Now, this is a big dude at quarterback, Six foot three, 240-pound dual-threat quarterback. And yeah, the guy can move a little bit in that big 240-pound frame. Now, he's not a burner. He's not really a guy that I think is going to be a threat to those explosive home run plays on the ground from the quarterback position. But he's a guy that can absolutely make you pay with his legs if you don't spend enough time preparing for him and dedicate enough attention to him and what he can do with those legs. He only got one start last year with Franks injured against Missouri. So there is not a ton to go on here, but I, I will say I was pretty impressed with what I saw out of him in that lone start, considering the circumstances. He went 18-33 in that game, not a great completion percentage, but he threw for 275 yards, three touchdowns, made some really nice plays in that game. Now, from a skill set perspective, he's got a really good strong arm, and he is not afraid to push the ball vertically down the field to a very talented group of wideouts. Now, it's not as talented as it could have been with Mike Woods, who's going to be their number two receiver coming of the year. He's transferred to Oklahoma. That's a pretty big loss. Mike Woods is a good player, but they still have a ton of talent out wide, which we'll get to here in just a couple minutes. But With his skill set, KJ Jefferson really fits well with the Kendall Bryles offense centered around maximizing the space on the field, uh, play action pass, and shot plays. He he is mobile, like I said, not a blazer, but he's big, tough, physical. He's a quarterback that can absolutely be demoralizing in short yard situations. We can just line up and kind of bludgeon you. That's really, really difficult to stop and get that plus one scenario. You got a big physical guy that can just kind of plow forward for a couple yards. That is very difficult to stop for defense. It's very difficult. So he's got some value there in the run game. Now, as you might imagine, as a guy who was getting his first start last year against Missouri, in that game, he made some poor decisions. He did. But Arkansas didn't have to really pay for it. Missouri couldn't really make them pay for it. There were a couple potential interceptions that were dropped, plays that weren't made, but it wasn't just kind of like forcing balls. There were also a couple of times where he missed wide open guys, he didn't go through his reads properly, where he tried to escape the pocket when he had plenty of time and he wasn't really feeling pressure, those kind of things that you expect him to probably improve on as he goes into his second year as a starter. Uh, he did get confused on some pressures, all those kind of things, as you expect from a guy making his first start in the SEC. But I do think that KJ Jefferson is a guy that can be a good starter in the SEC. I don't think he will ever be like elite like a top-level guy, but I certainly think he's far more than competent and can absolutely go out there and help Arkansas win football games this season. I do believe that. And it doesn't hurt, as I alluded to a second ago, when he has a very talented group of wide receivers and tight ends to throw to. In fact, he has one of the most talented wide receivers, not just in the SEC, but in all of America to throw to. Guys, if you don't know this name, you better learn it. Traylon Burks is a dude Out wide. Now he was a good solid wide receiver as a freshman a couple years back. He kind of flashed that elite potential, but there wasn't that consistency back in 2019. You could see the flashes, but you didn't see the consistency. But he took a massive leap forward last year. Pro football focus graded him out as an at an 88.9. Which was eighth highest among all receivers in the Power Five last year. That's doing something, right? Top ten, right? And you don't hear him talking much about. It. Like when you're on three and seventeen, you're probably not going to get that much attention. But in terms of his ability, his talent, this guy's probably. I mean, honestly, I feel confident saying he's a top ten receiver coming into this college football season. I, I believe that. He was also top 20 in yards per route run last year, which makes sense with the Kendall Browse system. He's a really great fit there. He also had 17 catches of 20 plus yards over the last two seasons, which is top 10 in the country over that time span over the past two years. And he's kind of a, he's a bigger body guy, 6'3", about 225, but he can move, man. He's also really effective on slant routes, on those RPO slant routes, especially. Uh, and it's tough for defenses to defend because when he threatens you deep, like he does, 17 catches, of 20 plus yards will the last two years, top 20 in the country in yards per route run, you got to play off him a little bit, right? You got to play off him because he, he threatens you vertically. So when teams start to play off of him, then what does Arkansas go to? Well, the, well Kendall Braz is going to go to the RPO game. He's going to run those RPO slants and. He, Traylon Burks has shown the ability to make big plays off of those. He averaged almost 11 yards a catch on slant rods last year. He's a big physical guy. Once he makes those catches and you're playing off of them, he's tough to bring down after the catch. He averaged 7.6 yards after the catch last year. And again, he really fits well in an offense that basically consists of RPO screens and shot plays. I mean, and their shot plays are oftentimes off play action. I mean, guys, last year, if you look at Arkansas's numbers from a year ago, They were fifth in the country in the percentage of play-action plays, like percentage of snaps that were play-action plays. 54% of their pass plays were play-action. They were also third in the country in screen percentage. 25% of their passes were screens last year. So this is a team that likes to do a lot of those things. It's really simple what they do, but it's really effective. And Traylon Burks is a really good fit for what this Arkansas, this Kendall Browse Arkansas offense wants to do. Now, don't think, you don't think he can hurt us, right? Like, if you're saying, well, come on, that's against two. Like, he's not gonna do that against Georgia. Well, guys, remember back to last year, that, that first game? He went for over 100 yards last year, and he did that against a Georgia defense with two top two round cornerbacks out there. And you guys know we have some inexperience, at least at one of those cornerback spots this year. And we'll see what Darren Kendrick brings to the table. So, yeah, this guy absolutely needs to be at the top of our of our game plan, of the scouting report when week five rolls around on October 2nd. So he's a really, really tough matchup. He's also got a good supporting cast of wide receivers. Again, losing Mike Woods is a pretty big blow for them because that's a really tough one-two punch. But there's some other guys back there that are capable as well. Trey Knox is a guy that I'm really kind of intrigued by. He had a good freshman year. Had almost 400 yards receiving as a freshman back in 2019, but he had a massive sophomore slump. Mike Woods. I, I thought honestly Trey Knox would be the guy that coming into last year would be their second guy, their number two receiver, but Mike Woods kind of took over that role, and it was really a, a sophomore slump for Knox. I mean, he only had 70 yards receiving, but he's a big guy, 6'5", moves well for that size, and I, with Woods gone, I expect Trey Knox to kind of step back into that role and be a, a, a solid number two option. Devion Warren is more of a diminutive guy. He's not 6'3 or 6'5 like Knox and Burks are. He's a pro-type slot wide receiver, though, and he's a guy that can, that can beat you on those slot fades. He's a guy that certainly can beat you in the screen game. They use him a lot in the screen game, so you got to watch out for him as well. And another guy that might be a breakout candidate for them on offense is a guy named Hudson Henry. Remember the name Hunter Henry, right? I think he's played for the Chargers now, played Arkansas years ago in the Brett Bielema years. Hudson Henry is his younger brother, and like Hunter, Hudson is kind of a modern tight end. He was banged up a lot last year, but when he was healthy and playing, this is a guy that certainly can do a lot of things out there. He can play in line, can flex him out, do a lot of those kind of modern tight end type things with him. He showed a lot of toughness last year, also trying to battle through some of those injuries, but watch out for Hudson Henry. He's a guy that can certainly be a major matchup problem for defenses in the 2021 season. So a lot of weapons out wide. And I also really like their starting running back as well. Traylon Smith did not enter last season as the starter, but he finished that way. It was Rakeem Boyd was supposed to be the guy for them last year, coming the year. And he got injured early on, but Traylon Smith came in and they didn't really skip a beat. Now, Traylon Smith is, is a smaller running back. He's 5'9", 190 pounds, but he still led the, the Razorbacks in rushing despite only making four starts. And really those were all at the end of the season. He had 710 yards rushing, 5.2 yards per catch, yeah, or 5.2 yards per rush, and yeah, he's a smaller guy, yeah, for sure, 5'9", 190, that's a small dude, but he's very quick, and he's a really good patient runner, good vision, and even though he's smaller, he does run hard. he has some physicality to his game for a guy that size. He's also a really good wide receiver out of the backfield, so they're they're really kind of stacked, I think, at the skill positions. This is a team that can be certainly dangerous offensively, And if you look at their running game, Traylon Smith is running behind a very experienced offensive line that has seven players with starting experience returning. And guys, we all know. We all know what Sam Pittman is. He's an offensive line guy by trade. We know that. First-hand experience here in Athens. Now, Pittman has not had a chance to go out and flex his muscles on the recruiting trail yet and upgrade that talent level on the offensive line. He hasn't had a chance to do that yet. And I think that's history. I think he's a good offensive line coach. I think he's a better offensive line recruiter. And we, because we like, we know, we know that's the guy's specialty. But this offensive line is his baby. We know it is. And this is going to be a good unit in year two. Now, they were not spectacular last year. They were middle of the pack in stuff rate and opportunity rate nationally. But they were all the way down to the 100s in power success rate, which means like the percentage of plays, uh, third and fourth down with. two yards or less to go that they were actually converting. They also gave up a ton of sacks last year, so I think we could have some success getting after Jefferson, but it's a good, solid, experienced unit. And all in all, this offense is an offense that took like a solid step forward last year. Uh, they were plus 50 yards per game, plus about a, a half yard per play last year against an all-SEC schedule. I have to factor that in as well. They, they did not get to pad stats against the Baby Seals. Uh, and they also had a schedule that feature games against Bama, obviously Georgia, A&M, and Florida last year. They played some heavyweight teams last year, and they still improved offensively from where they were the previous year. But even though they improved, I, I would still say they were not dynamic last year. They were not. There, and there are some reasons for that. There were a lot of injuries. Uh COVID obviously was, was tough for everyone to deal with. There's a new system with no spring practice, all those things that you said about our offense last year, you can say about Arkansas as well. So I'm not sure I'm ready to say this offense will jump to like dynamic status this year, but there's a chance that could happen. Uh and at the very least, I think you will see them take a, a pretty good step, another good step in the right direction.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to LipsonAds.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N Ads.com. All
0: right, let's transition over to the defensive side of things. Now, Barry Odom is a guy that I have a lot of respect for, especially as a defensive coach. And I think he got a raw deal at Mizzou. There are a lot of things going on internally inside that program that really had nothing to do with him, that kind of predated him, but he got canned, and he ends up as a defensive coordinator at Rival Arkansas, and yeah, I think he's a good football coach and one heck of a defensive coordinator. He took Missouri, when he got there, initially as a defensive coordinator, from the worst defense in the SEC to the third best defense in the league by the time that he left, Arkansas, prior to his arrival last year, was the worst defense in the Power Five over a three-year span. Their three-year average was the worst of all Power Five programs, Uh, and he led the largest one-year improvement last year at Arkansas. And to me, it becomes even more impressive when you consider the circumstances of last season. The fact they had no spring practice, implementing a new system. Not only were the players learning his system He was learning what players he had to work with. Yeah, sure, you can watch some film, but there's nothing like getting the players out there on the field and seeing with your own two eyes in person what they can do. So being able to make that kind of improvement on the fly considering those circumstances, to me, that's clear evidence that this dude can coach defensive football. And on top of that, they return 10 starters off of a much improved unit from last season. And he has some talent to work with this year in spots, in spots, not littered all over that defense, but in spots, there is some talent. But he really just maximized the skill sets of some of those less talented players as well. He did some things schematically last year when you watched them play that he didn't really do at Mizzou because he didn't have to. He had more talented players. So I thought he did a really good job coming in in year one and really adjusting his scheme to what his players could do, and really more so what they could not do. And and when we're breaking down this defensive roster, let's start up front. Now, to me watching this team last year, watching this defense, this was very clearly the weakness of the defense last year. Really, the entire front seven, but especially that defensive front, they gave up almost 200 yards a game on the ground. That was 12th in the SEC near the very bottom of the league. And this will probably again be their biggest question mark coming into the year. Now, Barry Odom and staff were very aware that was a problem for them them last year. So they tried to address it primarily through the transfer portal. You're not going to be able to fix that in one year going out and recruiting from the high school ranks. You can't expect a bunch of freshmen to come in and, and compete at a high level, especially in the trenches in this league right off the bat. So what do you do in the meantime? Well, yeah, you try to go recruit those players and develop them. But in the meantime, you try to find some transition players, to the transfer portal, whether they're grad transfers, Juco guys, and that's exactly what they did. Now, they were also dead last in sacks in the conference last year. So they, they couldn't stop the run. They couldn't affect the quarterback. So up front, they were a disaster last year. They really were not good, and it really shows on tape when you watch it as well. Now they do return a couple of rotation players up front in Dorian, Gerald, and Zach Williams, but man, I if they're counting on either one of those guys to be like frontline starters, like go-to kind of guys up front, I think that's asking quite a bit. It's going to take quite a leap for one of those two guys to step up and do that, because they were not those kind of players last year. They were simply not. They were rotation pieces, and I'm sure they'll make some sort of improvement this year with a full offseason under their belt, but to expect them to go from being rotation pieces that were just marginal impact players to being like frontline impact guys in one year, I I just don't know if I see that. I don't know if that's something you can expect. It could happen, but you can expect that to happen, but again, they did attack the transfer portal. They landed three Juco guys and two grad transfers. Along that defensive front, it's just really tough to know what to expect there. I'm not going to lie; those guys they're bringing in, I haven't seen them play. I don't know what they're going to look like. So it's a totally retooled and revamped defensive front. I imagine um, they're probably going to be a little bit better. You would think with bringing in some veteran pieces, and uh, I just I have a hard time imagining there won't be some improvement there because they were just so bad last year. That's not really based on much other than the fact a lot of those guys are gone. They did bring in some experience and uh, tried to find some guys out there that played quite a bit of college football. But regardless, I think this is one of the major advantages that we will have heading into this game. You know we have a great back, but we have some good, very good running backs. Offensive line uh, still remains to be seen how that's going to shake out, but look, we have a ton of talent up front. I think we're going to be very good up front when it's all said and done, once we f- figure out all the different fits for the different pieces there. So I think this will be a major advantage for us heading into this game, our offensive line versus this defensive front. Now behind the front this is, I don't know, I'm not going to say this is going to be controversial. A lot of people might disagree with this based off what you hear people say about them. But behind the defensive front, you got two inside linebackers that, yeah, they got a lot of love on TV broadcast because they rack up a bunch of tackles. Like when you go back again, watching the tape all off season of this team, when you're when you watching the Arkansas defense, you hear all the, the announcers, the broadcasters always talking about Bumper Pool and Grant Morgan, how great these linebackers are, how many tackles they're making. It's like, are we watching the same game? Like, yeah, they're making a lot of tackles, but are you really watching these guys? Because to me, if you really watch them play, really dig in on them, to me, they're just average players. They're certainly average athletes, in my opinion, average SEC athletes. Uh, Bumper Pool, you guys remember him? He's the guy that lit up Dewan Mathis on the sideline in week one, and Mathis was never really the same after that. Good player. Grant Morgan, the other inside linebacker. Good player. And they were actually both inside the top five in the SEC in tackles last season. And actually, Grant Morgan led the country in tackles per game. But man, that's deceptive. And if people point that and say, man, these guys are great. They have two great inside linebackers. Grant Morgan was a second team All-American. And it's like, oh uh, yeah, they rack up a bunch of tackles. But to me, I've never put that much stock in how many tackles a linebacker makes. I mean, sure, it's it's a nice stat. Sure, You, I mean, I guess you want to bring the, the ball carriers down, you want to tackle them, but I I personally think it's one of the most overrated stats. So it's number one, if you rack up a bunch of tackles, what does that mean? It means your defense is out in the field a lot. Your defense is probably not that good if you're leading the league in tackles, number one. And number two, tackles themselves, that's a very interesting and ambiguous stat. Where were those tackles made, all right? Because, um, if you think about think about a guy like Keith Brooking, right? Remember him with the Falcons years ago. Keith Brooking was always way up there in, in the tackles in the NFL. But if you watched Keith Brooking play, like a lot of Falcons fans did, you saw that man Keith Brooking was a good solid player. But he's making a lot of these tackles five, six, seven, eight yards down the field, dragging guys down from behind. All right, it's like cool. I guess you made the tackle. Awesome, good for you. But was Keith Brooking ever like a truly elite inside linebacker in the NFL? No, I don't think so. I think he was a good player. He wasn't elite. And when you look at Bumper Pool and Grant Morgan, I think there's some comparisons there. I really do. Like they're athletic enough, but neither guy has elite speed. Um, they're often a step late against the best players and the best teams. Neither one of them. Here's the one of my big issues with both these guys. I think neither one of them, Morgan or Pool, are really that adept at attacking and shedding blockers. They're not really good at that. If you're an offensive lineman or any blocker, if you get your hands on them, chances are you got them beat. And that's really not a great trait for an inside linebacker but I will give them this. They do play hard. They are experienced and they provide a lot of leadership out there. And and Morgan is actually pretty good in coverage. He's a smart, savvy guy, really good at reading route combinations, breaking on the ball. He actually had a really good coverage grade last year, according to Pro Football Focus, 84.5, which was second in the nation from the linebacker position. So he's good in coverage, does a good job reading things. It comes from experience. That comes from studying the playbook, studying tape, all that kind of stuff. So they're they're not bad. They're good. They're just not as good as I think the national broadcasters make them out to be when you watch those games. Now their secondary is really full of young talent. And and I think there's a chance they could end up being the strength of the defense, especially when you consider the question marks up front. Jalen Catalan is 100% the guy back there he earned all freshman honors a year ago and he's a guy that absolutely lives up to that building if you're if you're asking me, like i mentioned grant morgan bumper pool get a lot of love even though i don't think they're that great Jalen catalog gets a lot of love i think he's very deserving of that love um he has an uncanny ability to make plays in the ball he was top 10 in the country last year as a freshman in pass breakups top 20 nationally in coverage grade and coordinate pro football focus and you watch it on tape and it and the tape backs that up he moves really well. He's also an aggressive and willing tackler. My one big criticism of Cadlon is that he misses far too many tackles for my liking as a true freshman. But again, factor in the situation. You're coming fresh out of high school and no spring practice. Spent a lot of time off campus with COVID, with all the COVID issues. So maybe there wasn't that much contact going, especially at practice, trying to keep guys from getting COVID. How much contact was going on? How much tackling were they doing? I don't know. But bottom line was he wasn't a great tackler at about a 12.5 uh, percent missed tackle rate last year, which just it's not the worst in the country, it was like 80th last year. So, uh, not terrible, but certainly an area where he could improve. But Jalen Catalan has all the makings of not only being all freshman last year, he has all the makings of becoming potentially an All American as early as this year. I can certainly see that. There's a couple other guys in secondary that I think are solid players, have the potential to be pretty good. Miles Slusher is another really talented player, a former top 200 prospect. And guys, Arkansas, does, especially defensively, they don't get a lot of top 200 prospects. They, that's not what they do. They don't recruit that well, they don't recruit those kind of guys on a consistent basis but he apparently had a great spring, according to sources around Arkansas, and really made a move this spring. He's a versatile guy. can play safety. He can play cornerback. It'll be interesting to see where he ultimately lines up, but I think he will factor into the equation. Uh, Monteric Brown is a, is a veteran on this team. I think he's been around since like 2017. He's been around for a while, and he quietly had a, he had a really good year last year, a solid year. Now, he did get torched by, by Texas A&M. He was not good in that game. But if you take that game out of the equation, he ended up ninth in coverage, uh, ninth in coverage grade in the conference last year. So a good solid player, not an elite player. Outside Jalen Catalan, I don't know if they have elite players in secondary, but a guy that can certainly do some things for them and help kind of shore up that secondary. But the reality is that this defense, at the end of the day, they just don't have enough elite talent outside of Jalen Catalan. Catalan is a dude, he is an elite talent. Outside of him, I don't think they have anyone that I would consider an elite player. I, I just don't. And they certainly don't have a lot of depth. They get some injuries. They, uh, I don't want to say they're going to the tank, but it's tough for them to recover from that. And you saw that last year. They had some injuries. They had some COVID issues on defense. Catalan was injured a little bit late in the season. And they really struggled later in the season much more than they did early on. And uh, that's because they don't have that much depth. And Barry Odom knows that. Um, he knows that even though they got some solid players on the outside, Miles Slusher, Monteric Brown, they're solid, they're good, they're decent, whatever, but he knows they're not gonna be able to consistently match up on the outside against the better receivers that they face this year or that that they faced last year. So this is what I'm talking about last year. He kind of adjusted his scheme and did some things that he does not normally do from a schematic standpoint. They ran a lot of drop eight coverage last year, which is pretty abnormal for them. They were a very heavy coverage, three, 33% of their coverage snaps, they were in cover three. That is a heavy amount of cover three in modern day football because uh, RPOs murder cover three and teams run RPOs all the time. Everyone has RPOs in their playbook. So that's a very risky thing to do. But when you don't trust your guys to play coverage very well, they, they can't consistently hold up in man. And here's the thing, and you don't trust your defensive line. Your defensive line is terrible. They cannot stop the run. So what you've got to do, you know you can't play man coverage. So what can you do? You can play cover two. You can play cover three. You can play quarters a little bit. You can't really play cover two. As you play cover two, then you don't have any safety help in the box. And that defensive line is terrible. They're going to get run all over. Worse than they already were getting run on. So what you have to do to get another safety in the box is you've got to go cover three. So they ran a ton of cover three that kept them out of man coverage. because so They didn't trust their corners there and allowed them with that extra safety down the box to help defend the run. That was the best thing that they could do for them for themselves last year. I mean, it's cover 3 is is becoming more and more obsolete with each passing year with the the advances in the RPO game because you just again, if you put that safety down there in the box like that, what is an offense going to do? They're going to RPO off of him. It's completely taken out of the equation. They're going to option off of him essentially. So, he's almost a wasted player. So it's, it's really hard to run that consistently, but they kind of had to last year. Like, it wasn't a great option, but it was the best option that they had. They were only in man coverage. I mean, they were in man coverage less than 20% of the time last year, guys. That is, and that's, that's below the, well below the average in college football, and that is not what Barry Odom does. Barry Odom in the past got some cornerbacks that can get up in people's face and play a lot of man coverage. He knew he didn't have those guys last year, so I give him credit that he looked at what he had on hand, the talent he had on hand, and adjusted what he has done traditionally to fit that talent on hand. They also didn't blitz a lot. They only blitzed 20 on um, 23% of their snaps, So defensive snaps last year, 104th in the nation. I think a big part of that, again, is the fact they didn't trust their cornerbacks and man coverage. They didn't want to put anyone on the island out there. They want to just play safe, eight-man coverage sometimes, that cover three type stuff, and just take their, take their, take their chances there and not put their cornerback situation where they're going to get fried out there and man-on-man coverage and consume coverage on the outside without that safety help. And to be honest, that's what I expect from them this season. Jalen Catlon is really good, but they're not going to be that great up front. I just don't see it. And they have some solid pieces coming back in the secondary, but not, none of those guys are really like elite. They weren't last year, and I don't expect them to make that kind of jump this year. So I'm sure they won't run as much cover three with a, with a full offseason under their belt. They'll probably vary it up a little bit, but I do expect them to... Do a lot of the same kind of zone looks from last year, try to stay out of man as much as possible. I just don't think they have the personnel there right now. Now they'll try to recruit to that. We'll see if they'll be able to do it, but you're not going to be able to fix all those deficiencies in one year just going out and recruiting guys from the high school ranks. So I think you'll see a lot of the same thing from them as last year. But Barry is just a great defensive coordinator, a great coach, and they're at the very least, are going to be solid. They're going to play hard and uh, be a good defense that will, will, will give you all they got and give you a little bit of trouble there if you don't bring your A game. But again, all in all, when you look at this Arkansas team in totality, as I said at the outset, we are clearly 100% the superior team. There is no way on earth that we should lose to Arkansas, but caution ball is a crazy world, right? We lost to South Carolina a couple years back. We should never have lost that team, but we know it happened. It sucked. It cost us a shot at the college playoff. And I would just caution our guys. I know no one cares what I say, what we say, what we think doesn't matter. What matters is what the coaches say and what they get the players to think, the mindset they get them in. I'm just saying we can't take them lightly, okay? And look, you can't take anyone lightly in your schedule. I know that's a very cliche thing to say, but I just want all you guys listening out there to understand that Arkansas is not as much of a cakewalk as they were two years ago. I know they were only three and seven last year, but this is a team that I think was very capable of going six and four last year. I really believe that. And I think they believe that. And they have gone through this offseason with a lot of momentum from last year. I know, what, three and seven momentum? Yeah, when you hadn't won an SEC game in two and a half years, getting three wins in one year in that COVID year, that's momentum for them. And that can carry over, especially with that new coach and new staff. Sam Pittman is a rah-rah, motivating type guy. So they're going to come into this season believing. I think they got a shot to beat Texas early in the year. And if they beat Texas, I think week two, if they beat Texas early in the year, that team is going to have a lot of momentum rolling into Athens in week five. They're going to be believing. We just gotta be ready. That's all I'm saying. Now, if we bring our A game, as I said at the outside of the show, it doesn't matter how well they play and how pumped up they are. If we bring our A game, they can't beat us. We're just too talented, too deep, coaching staff's too good. But if we don't play up to our capabilities, and we've seen it happen or Kirby Smart, if we play, you know, a C level game and they happen to play the best game of their lives, I mean, it yeah, it's possible. They could beat us. I again don't think that's likely. I, I certainly would not bet on that, but this just respect the Hogs. It's a much better Arkansas program than what we've seen from them the past three, four, five years, really. But all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the Glory UGA podcast. We will be back next week with a, another great group of shows for you. We'll have another mailbag show, we got a couple of questions that we were not able to get to last. We want to get to feel free to send in more questions. You can hit us up on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can also send those to us on our new Instagram account, which is at Glory UGA Podcast. Send them to us on Facebook, our GloryUGA Podcast Facebook page. Follow us on all those accounts. That really helps us out. Uh, we're still trying to get our numbers up to 300 five-star rating reviews by the start of the season. We're getting closer and closer, guys. I think we're at, what, 285, 286 right now. So we are getting closer. Thank you to everyone who has done that, who has helped us out there. It's so, so helpful. We're so appreciative of that. If you haven't had a chance, um, it would be great if you could help us out there. Just a quick little five-star rating review. If you enjoy the show, those things go a long way in helping us continue to bring you our brand of Georgia football talk. So thank you guys. Thanks for all the support. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll have that mailbag show. Curse and I will be wrapping up uh, the top 20 players list. We'll have numbers one through five. We'll be revealing those. And I'll also have a, the Auburn scouting the enemy episode. So will be looking forward to that. I know a lot of you probably. Excited to listen to that one. Auburn's always a big game, big rival on the schedule. So we'll have all that fun stuff for you guys next week. But have a great weekend, guys. Enjoy it. Just got a couple of Saturdays left. And then Georgia football will be back. Actually, just a, I think, what, three Saturdays if you include this weekend before we have college football back, before week zero is back. So, guys, it is here, man. It's just around the corner. And uh, I can't wait, man. But thanks for listening. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.